Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for October 14th, 2007. And we're going to conclude with part three in our study we're doing on false prophets. And this is the continued excerpts from an article entitled, Is Your Favorite Preacher a False Prophet? Have You Done Your Spiritual Homework? by a guy named Rick Cutter. And we're just reading some excerpts, and really what we're doing is going through a lot of the scriptures that pertain to this particular uh, teaching. So, if we go a little bit further with this study, um, it says, Many have incorrectly taught that false teachers don't exist that practically everyone is saved, that essentially any doctrine is acceptable if it's sincerely believed, and that basically any level of morality, no matter how low, is satisfactory. And this is what we get a lot of in the churches. These doctrines are popular for obvious reasons. They are easy to understand, easy to like, easy to follow, but Jesus contrasted this easy path, which, which what he said leads to destruction, with the difficult, narrow path that leads to eternal life. His was a message of warning and great caution. He cautioned his followers to be on the lookout for false prophets and warned them that these prophets would appear sheep and wouldn't be in fact be wolves. And what happens is, is these false prophets come along and they preach a feel-good gospel and these people look up to them. They look up to their preachers, they look up to these false prophets, they look whatever they call themselves, apostles or whatever, and they think... They look at them and they see that many times these people have a very low level of morality. Their standards are low. And they think, well, hey, if it's good enough for them, I can even be more of a devil. Because, you know, I'm not, I'm not called by God to be more holier than they. So it kind of gives them an excuse, I think. And, and this is exactly why the devil puts these people into the church movements. Because it leavens everything. And a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. So there's ten common false prophet characteristics you should know about. Uh, not to say that this is, a, is, is the be-all, end-all list, but I think these are, these are ten good ones. Um, here's a few of the, false, the, the traits that false prophets will particularly display. Characteristic one, they appear sincere. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. See, you could be sincere, you could be zealous, and most people, I mean, Islamic people are very zealous, and they're on their way to hell. And they're trying to take as many people with them as possible, it sounds like, pretty much. Um, so they appear sincere, but sincerity doesn't cut it. Zeal doesn't cut it, if it's misguided. False prophets appear fully convinced they have the truth, or that their behavior is fully acceptable to God. Because they are so sincere, they are extremely convincing, one of their most dangerous traits. And then what happens too with a false prophet is, is because so much of what they do is totally extra-biblical, they start to believe that they don't have to worry about the Bible. All that matters is their feelings and their relationship and what they're hearing from God in their head. Trust me, I know people like this. Uh, particularly in the Pentecostal charismatic movement, you're going to run into a lot of this. In fact, it's, it's worse there than any other place, because in those movements, basically, everybody that they're idolizing, whether it's Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, uh, TBN, or whatever abomination, these people are coming on camera and basically saying, oh, I heard from God, and he said this, and so much of the time it's unbiblical. And what you start doing is, you start going more by what they're saying, and you start ignoring the Word of God. Now, 
if what they're saying contradicts the word of God, God didn't tell it to them. That's the test. Okay? And also, if what they say doesn't come to pass, then they're not son of God. They're not of God, or, or at least that message that they thought they received was not of God. And that's according to Deuteronomy 18, which we talked about last week. So, these are some things that you can go by. Num the number two characteristic is, is they are, or at least they appear intelligent. False prophets typically are highly intelligent individuals, able to discern and make the most intellectual arguments. They use this talent to convince others that follow after them. Well, now, I'm going to take this a little bit further. Because I don't believe it's just that they're intelligent. I believe that there's a demonic intelligence that is within them. Now, think about it. Do you think you could be a false prophet and just be neutral? Do you think that it would be possible to be a false prophet and to have no demonic spirits involved with the false prophecies? It doesn't work that way. But see, this is something that most Christians don't even want to think about or, or talk about or it's never preached in the pulpit. The spiritual component. But the Bible says that we battle not against flesh and blood but against princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places, these types of things. So that's really where our battle is. So it's not so much the false prophet, it's the spirits that are talking through and emanating through the false prophet that we have to really worry about. They're the ones that have, that have a higher intelligence than we do as humans. I mean, let's, let's say it's a demonic entity, fallen angelic, okay, well, well you know, <laughs> they don't have the restraints on their... On their wicked spirits that we would. They've been around a lot longer than we have. They've been able to hone their craft, and I mean that literally, much longer than we have. And these are the ones that emanate and operate through the false prophets, these types of spirits. This is, this is why when they went to the witch of Endor, when Saul went to the witch of Endor, she, what did it say in the Bible? It says she had a familiar spirit. It wasn't the witch of Endor so much as it was the familiar spirit. This is what we always have to keep in mind when dealing with these types of individuals. So the third characteristic, they are popular. False prophets are typically well-liked and gregarious. It's hard to find much of a following otherwise. Um, they are characteristically wise to the ways of politics and social interaction. It is not uncommon for them to seek praise that comes from men more than the praise that comes from God. Well, that's, that's all they do, if you think about it. Because if they really feared God, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. As a result, they put great effort into their social relations. And remember, the Bible says, you know, he that is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. And whenever you have any of these real popular prosperity preachers that are all 501c3 wrapped in their entities, they, they, got, they, they got their licensing from the state, they went to a state um, 501c3 cemetery, I mean seminary, and, and, and now they're in their 501c3 ministries, Taxes, you know, they can get there. They're not reading the right Bible. They got their Christian rock programs going on. They got their low morality. You know, you got all that stuff going on. Yeah, you're going to be popular. Wow, he's a really hip guy. You know, he understands me. He meets me at my level. Well, you know what? That's not the goal here. The goal is to come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Okay? But they don't do that. They go into the cesspool of the world, and they stay there, and then they put some kind of Christian veneer on their ministry, which, which they think makes it all right. And it's a life of the pit of hell. This is why, you know, I was listening, I, I, the only time I ever listen to any Christian radio, because I can't stand it, 
it's so reviling to me, is Sunday mornings when I wake up to the the alarm, typically, for that. And, and I don't know, David Jeremiah is on there, and Ravi Zacharias. And I'm not saying Ravi Zacharias doesn't have some good stuff or whatever, but the, pro- the bottom line is, these are 501c3 entities. They typically don't emphasize what the true Word of God is. They stay away from so many other subjects that they should be talking about, and they don't. They don't ever talk about them. Because it would probably get booted off the air. They lose all kind of following. They lose, they lose all kind of ministry monies and these types of things. David Jeremiah, I just put out an email on him not too long ago. How he's really, really, really going headlong into the New Age contemplative movement. He's he's um, promoting this guy named Erwin McManus, who's an absolute total reprobate. And I heard him on the radio the other day mention this guy, praising him. So, I, you know, I, I listen to these guys, and it's it's. It's with a lot of, uh, I don't know, I, I, I can only take so much <laughs> when I listen to these guys. Because, again, so much of the time it's not what they're saying, it's what they're not saying. And uh, I, for, I, I kind of lost my my uh, my point there. I forget, I heard something this morning which, which related to what I was going to talk about, but I forgot it for the second. If I remember, I'll come back to it. The fourth characteristic is that they are charming, attractive, or appealing. Well, some of the time. These are false prophets. Are sometimes attractive and charming, but typically they're always appealing. They often possess traits that naturally draw people into their circles of influence. Charisma, humor, jovality. Doug, that's a word you need to use more. Jovality. You know, I I just... We need to use that word more. Jovial. Jovial. Anyway, a little humor there. Um, Positive attitudes. Conversational personalities. Since most people are attracted to materialism, possessions, and outer appearances, being charming, appealing, and even wealthy bodes well for a good following. Well, hey, yeah. I mean, if you're Mr. Moneybags here, and you go into, uh, like our local church, we call the Dome. The local Assembly of God church with Pastor Betzer. Um, It's got this big silver dome. It's almost like going into a football stadium. And, you know, you go in there and you're thinking, wow, yeah, now I can... Yeah, and this is up to my standards. You know, all, all any of us are worthy of is death and hell, to be quite honest, if the truth be known. Um, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, and I, and I include myself in that boat first. Um, and again, apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and these guys go into these places and they think, oh yeah, well, you know. And then what will happen, obviously, is that look what God has done. So we get a lot of that, too. Well... If this wasn't of God, how could we have got the money to... Number one, most of the time, the, the, the building's been mortgaged. Now, the Bible says the borrower is slave to the lender. I don't think it's, it's right for a church to go into debt in order to build a big building that God never... I don't see any New, I don't see any new Testament precedent at all where God says, go build gigantic ministries and buildings and put all your money into that. We're going to te- do a teaching in the near future on... The New Testament concept of giving and these types of things. Uh, but I just don't see any biblical precedent for it, whatsoever. So anyway, they'll, they'll use that excuse a lot of times too. You know, God only God could have done this and these types of things. And So they're, they're good at what they do. And housing their flocks within the walls of incredibly expensive and attractive structures doesn't hurt their cause either. So then number four, the, or I'm sorry, the fifth characteristic is they are knowledgeable. Well, 
you know, to a certain extent. I've seen a lot of these guys, um, uh, they will say things on camera that are so unbelievably unbiblical as far as what they're saying. I remember Benny Hinn one time said something about like when the Red Sea parted, it was because God put up big sheets of ice on each side. He froze the water. It doesn't say that in the Bible. It doesn't say that. He says it's in the Bible. I mean, he's done that many, many times. This whole I've seen him. I mean, there, there. If you if you do uh, research on all his quotes, there's a lot of actual film clips that you can go on um, Google Video or, or uh, YouTube and watch. There's, there's whole DVDs made about Benny Hinn. So much unbiblical stuff. And you, you, you look at it and you're like, why and how could these people stay in these ministries that are so totally unbiblical? They're not reading their Bible. They don't even have the right Bible. And they don't care. They don't care. But the Bible says, and my people love to have it so. They love it. They don't care. So, they sometimes appear knowledgeable. False prophets often have enough knowledge to convince their unsuspecting followers they know what they're talking about. Since their followers, followers have not bothered to do their spiritual homework, well, according to 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. They're not doing that. Okay? They haven't done their spiritual homework. This level of knowledge that the false prophet possesses is generally all he needs. False prophets sometimes come armed with secular education, sometimes even seminary training. Surely their unwary followers doubtlessly think a person with such advanced religious training cannot be incorrect or misleading. Yet one only need to look back to the most of the Pharisees who were by far the most incredibly religious uh, were, were by far the most religiously educated of Jesus' day, and also the most deceived. That's how it works most of the time. That's why the Bible says, knowledge puffeth up. So, that's why it's important that as you gain and glean and garner knowledge, you're always praying at the same time for humility. And meekness before the Lord. Because I'm telling you right now, when you attain knowledge, a lot of times what it does to the person is it just pumps their ego up. Like they think they're better, or they know more, or whatever. And if if you pray for the fear of God, if you pray for humility, that will counterbalance that mechanism. I'm telling you. That's, why, that's how it works. That's how it really works. And that's a really little important tidbit I just mentioned. And we've done kind of whole studies on that, but it's very, very important. That, that, you're, that you're trying to, uh, that you're doing that as you gain knowledge. So, if we go further, let's see here. So, we're talking about the Pharisees. Indeed, it was the highly educated Pharisees themselves from which they spawn, from which was spawned the infamous quote, if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Okay? Which is what Jesus talked about. And he referred to them as blind, even though they were the most highly educated, supposed religious Jews of the day. They were blind. And if a blind person is leading you, you're both going to fall in a ditch. That's what most of modern day religion is doing. They're leading their followers. Millions and millions. Smiley Joe Olstein in his stadium church, right now with this big spinning globe behind him, and his bleached teeth, the whole nine yards. He's taken, I don't hundreds of thousands of people to hell. That's the most feel-good vomit gospel. I, I can't even watch that guy for five minutes before I got to turn it off. 
I mean, it's unbelievable. But hey, it's what it's what um, it's what you know gets the money in. He couldn't fill that stadium if he, if he wasn't you know bringing in some serious money. Now we're going to go to some Bible verses now. Uh, let's see here, John twelve forty three. John twelve forty three. This is a great one. Um, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. This is in regard to Jesus Christ, but not because of the Pharisees. This is actually start of verse 42. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Hey, that's it right there. That's what all these false prophets, all the false religions essentially center around. This very, very exact thing. Because of the pressure of the Pharisees, they didn't confess Jesus Christ. Why? For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. See, they wanted to have one one foot in, in you know, heaven, and, and they got one foot in hell. It doesn't work that way. They may think they got one foot in heaven, one they got both feet in hell. It doesn't work that way. So, the Bible says, "Choose whom, choose this day whom you will serve." As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So that's a, that's a really good verse that relates to this. And let's see here. Acts 4.13. Acts 4.13. <clears throat> now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them, that they had been with Jesus. Well, right here it just says that, that these were unlearned and ignorant men. Peter and John. Well, it doesn't say anything in there how you got to be like Mr. Highfalutin, seminary boy, have all your degree. In fact, most of the time, that was, what that will do is ruin you. I'm not saying every single time, I'm not saying every single person ever came out of cemeteries of the devil. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that increasingly, and more and more and more, that is the case. Because... If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If seminary training is your foundation as a pastor, and it's corrupted, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? These same seminaries are the ones telling them, okay, go get your state licensing. I mean, you know, John Bunyan stayed in prison all those years because he wouldn't take a license. Now what do we have going on in the church? we got so much... Further than that going on, it's not even funny. Not only are they taking state life, oh, i got to go to go to the state in order to have my existence to preach, in order to have my legal entity as a preacher. Where's that in the Bible? Where is it in the Bible then? Well, then now I, I'm going to have to have a church building. i got to go get my 501c3 staff so everybody can write it off on their taxes. Oh, well, verily you have your reward, you know, to be seen of men, obviously, or to write it off your taxes. What's your motivation? Now I'm yoked up with the state. I saw this thing the other day on TV, um, on public television. It was a show in regard to 
um, this Baptist preacher in Memphis, Tennessee, and he had this thing called the safe, fugitive safe, I don't know, whatever. What it was, was that people that had outstanding warrants on them, one day per month, could go to this big, gigantic megachurch in Memphis, Tennessee, and everybody loved the pastors, good man of God, and they could turn themselves in. And it showed them, all these people, this gigantic line, thousands of warrants, people going there. Well, they're, and they're interviewing all these, these people, and they were basically, well, we just feel like that, you know, they're like, knowing this is a church, did that influence your decision to turn yourself in? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I mean, I just feel so much better coming to a church and all this other stuff. And they're in there, and they're doing mug shots of these people, and they're fingerprinting them, they're doing all this stuff that, that would never, ever God would never ever call to do in a church. They're yoking themselves up with the government. And we know from past teachings that we've done, the government is, through the Homeland Security, is yoking itself up more and more and more with the churches, with the 501c3 churches, because when it gets bad, when martial law is imposed, they're going to use the churches to quell, quote, quell dissent. They're going to use these pastors as the hirelings that they are in order to bring the people into the churches so that they can basically be taken. And, and eventually it's going to get to a point where they're going to actually be brought in the churches so they can be taken to the concentration camps. Well, I trust my pastor. Well, you better think twice. If you're going to one of these types of churches, you better think twice. Because when it comes down to it, their allegiance is going to be to the state, not, not, not to the uh, flock. I, I, would guarantee, I would guarantee that in the vast majority of cases. I can't say every single case. Be dogmatic, okay? But I'm saying the vast majority of the cases. That's what's going to happen. This was a great example of that. Because if you think about it, everything went good in this, in this show. It was great. Oh, the people were happy. And the judge, they actually had the judge there in the church. They were trying the cases as they came into the church. Guess where the judge was? The judge was set up in this chapel room where, the, you know, all the religious accoutrements behind him and all the stuff. And, I mean, hey, I had the robe and everything. And he fit right in. And, you know, he's in this church and they're going before the judge. And they said in the show the judge was going, was, was particularly being lenient. So they thought, hey, this is a great deal. For all these, well, I, they call them, I don't want to say, they're all criminals. I, I don't know what all their circumstances were. But I'm saying that all these people that were going in there ended up going before the judge. The judge was, was lenient. And that these are people that had outstanding warrants sometimes for two and three years that they couldn't catch. Okay? And everybody came out happy and smelling like a rose. What does that, what signal does that send? That sends the signal that the churches are a safe place. Yes, they're getting yoked up with the government, but they already are yoked up with the government because when you take a 501c3 status, when you go to the state to get ordained as a preacher, you're basically yoking yourself up with the state. Okay? Well, they gave you your right to exist. They gave you not only your right as your, for your church to exist, but for you to preach. Okay? You're already yoked up with them. And it's come, there's going to come in a time where you're going to have to pay the piper. And what the, the signal that it was sending was that this was a success. If you go to the church to turn yourself in, 
Nothing bad's going to happen. In fact, it's going to be even better. And they're trying to condition us to when martial law is imposed, that the church is going to be a safe place. But trust me, they're baiting you in. Baiting you. It's going to be a bait and switch. Guaranteed. Brilliant, actually. Pretty brilliant ploy. But anyway, that, um, that was what I saw there. So if we go further, Matthew 15... Matthew 15, verse 12. Matthew 15, verse 12. <clears throat> and then came his disciples and said unto him, Knowest thou that they, the Pharisees, were offended? Well, I guarantee you that, that uh, if a Pharisee was listening to this thing, and, I, I, and by a Pharisee, I mean the modern-day equivalent of a Pharisee, which would be like your modern-day 501c3 state-ordained pastor. I'm saying the majority. Okay, I'm not saying everyone, I'm saying the majority. Knowest thou that they, the Pharisees, were offended after they heard the saint? But he said, and, but he answered and said unto them, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Remember, the Bible says, judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. So, see, we're coming into a time where everything that can be shaken will be shaken. We're going to know, in this time, who really is a true born-again Christian and who's not. Every plant which my Heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Then he said, let them alone, they be blind leading leaders of the blind. This is in regard to these Pharisees. And if the blind leadeth the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. So, you know, right there, it, that pretty much says says quite a bit there. Um, okay, let's see here. Let's go back to the study. Okay, so let's go to the sixth characteristic of a false prophet. They are reassuring. False prophets don't want their flocks to leave or to waste too much time investigating the truth. To keep them from this, false prophets reassure their followers not to worry, and that everything is okay. The message is, listen to me, rely on my sermons and my message, and you'll have everything you need. End of quote. They frequently master uh, in soothing messages and often minor in content, truth, and spiritual challenges. Maintaining an appealing, undemanding, and reassuring message is crucial in sustaining their following. Really, it's crucial in sustaining their income flow. Because it's always all about the money. Imagine that. Uh, I wanted to see if we... Okay, let's go to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. Second Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. 1. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, which is essentially like saying he's going to judge the, the saved and the unsaved, the quick are the living and the dead are the dead, okay? Um, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. How many preachers are preaching the word? They're not even preaching out of a right Bible. Reprove, rebuke, Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. 
Well, people say, oh, you're judging. You're judgmental. Well, the Bible says he who is spiritual judgeth all things. And we're supposed to judge righteous judgment according to Jesus Christ. What we're not supposed to do is judge hypocritically. Which is when Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. Because that person had a beam in their own eye and he was judging the speck in his brothers. That's when it's not right to judge. Okay? So, there is a time that you reprove. You rebuke. Reproving, basically... Um, we're supposed to improve the unfruitful works of darkness and have no fellowship with them. Okay, this is what we're supposed to be doing, but that's not getting done in the churches. They don't do it. They don't rebuke. They just let go. Let go and let God is their motto. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Well, that's where we're at right now. The time has come and they're not enduring sound doctrine. But after their own lusts, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Meaning, speak to us smooth things. Prophesy unto us, you know, smooth things. Take away this Jesus Christ, is what they're saying. But, do you, do you notice how it says, they will, but after their own lusts, shall heap to themselves teachers. And that's what I, I, I think the Pentecostals are most classic for doing it. You know, a lot of these... Pentecostals, and I hate to say this, and I'm not being prejudiced here, I'm saying particularly the women Pentecostals, I've been around a lot, will tend to stay at home and watch TBN 24-7. They'll stay on, they get their Sky Angel, and they watch a lot of this, this stuff. And I'm not saying there's not guys that don't do it, I'm just saying I've seen women fall into this trap more than men. And they... They get and they and they go from teacher to teacher to teacher. They're heaping to themselves teachers. They want to, they want to hear more. They want to hear more good stuff. Tell me what I want to hear, teacher, preacher, false prophet, whatever you are. I want to hear more. And it's always some nice flowery thing, typically. You know, oh, God's getting ready to do a mighty work. It's never, oh, God's judgment's going to fall on us because we're so stinking wicked, which is what they should be saying. No, they don't say that. No, no, we're 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 holier than thou. We're better. Because, see, we know how to speak in tongues, and you don't. We have the full gifting of the Spirit. We're truly filled with the Spirit. We're better than you. That's how they feel. They do. Trust me, I've been around. I've been one of them. I know. So, it says this time's going to come. Well, it's already come. We're, we're, we're headlong into this. This is what the Bible is talking about. And then it says in verse 4, And they shall turn away their ears from the truth. And shall be turned unto fables. And that's exactly what it is. When you got a false prophet or a false preacher or whatever going up there telling his nice little limericks and jokes and all these other things. And it doesn't have any basis in the Bible. They're, they're turning to fables. And they're turning their ears away from truth. Because they have no desire for truth. They don't want truth. Truth is typically painful to hear. And it would be more painful for them because it would be like such a shock if they really were to embrace truth because they're so far in deception and the further you are in deception the further you are into darkness when that light gets shined on you the more of a more of a shock it is to you and that's that's how they would feel so see the more they fall away the harder it is to redeem them because they're falling away as the bible predicted there would be a great falling away the Bible says in 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, which is where we're at now, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, 
speaking lies in hypocrisy and having their consciences seared with a hot iron. Okay, that's where we're at. These seducing spirits and doctrines of devils are emanating and operating through the modern day 501c3 state ordained false prophets, pastors, evangelists, whatever you want to call them. For the most part. I'm not saying everyone, I'm saying for the most part. These people are falling for this junk, hook, line, and sinker. And as a result of this, what's ended up happening, they're falling away. They're giving heed to these seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They're starting to themselves speak lies and hypocrisy. And they're having their own consciences seared with a hot iron and they don't even know it. When, you're, when your conscience gets seared with a hot iron, how do you get it unseared? I mean, I'm not saying Jesus Christ couldn't come in and uh, change you and wake you up. Praise the Lord, He did that for me. But I'm just saying, the longer you stay in it, the less likely that's going to happen. It's not something you want to play around with. So, let's go a little bit further here. Okay, so the seventh characteristic of a false prophet. And again, this would apply not only to false prophets, but like I said, to, to others that are in ministry as well. Oh, I, I, on that show that I told you I saw the other day with the, uh, the safe house, the best was, was this one particular woman. She was a black lady. She came full priest garb. She was in a full priest outfit. Like, you know, the, the, the collar turned around backwards, the, the whole collar thing, in, in a black thing, dressed in pants. And she, the, the, the good, what does she call herself? Does she call herself Father? Because isn't that what priests call themselves? Father? Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says to call no man Father, but your Father in Heaven. That's an abomination from the pit of hell. Now, the NIVs probably don't say that, but the King James does. That's why you better get the right Bible. What would she call herself? Mother? Oh, Holy Mother. Or, or what do you call her? You can't call her Father. She's, she's a woman. But she was, she was doing her civic duty. And uh, her whatever Catholic civic duty. And basically brought this fugitive so he could turn himself in. And she was in the background, real smug looking. Just, she, I don't think she said a word, but she just looked real smug. And you know, they, you, Do you understand these people are demon-possessed? If not, I mean, if not heavily demon-oppressed, demon-possessed. You cannot be in false religion, which is Satan's major tool that he will use to take people to hell, and not be seriously demon-infested to a certain extent. It's impossible. So anyway, um, characteristic seven, they're confident. Nobody wants to follow a person who is unsure of himself or lacks confidence, even if he appears to be knowledgeable and intelligent. Therefore, false prophets are frequently confident individuals, sometimes extremely confident, to the extent that they believe nothing else could possibly be right other than what they personally believe and preach. This often produces an unteachable attitude. Oh, man, do I see this? Have I seen this? Almost every single person that has a major ministry particularly if it's a ministry in error. You can't tell these people anything. You can't. I've dealt with them over the years. Very, 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 very few you can have any kind of dialogue with. Because they know it all. You can't tell them anything. You know? 
And they could be doing the most unbiblical thing in the world and they will just ignore you. Hey, they're the ones that are going to have to answer to God for, for their sin. So they, this produces an unteachable attitude in the false prophet which sometimes extrapolates to his followers. Well, again, what do we battle against? Flesh and blood? No. Spirits, principalities, rules of wickedness. These types of things. These same spirits, if the head is sick, the whole body will be sick. So if you're in one of these churches, and you got this whole dynamic going on that I said, a false prophet, whatever, lukewarm preacher, 501c3 entity, reading the wrong Bible, state ordained, the whole nine yards, do you think that that spirit that emanates and operates through all of this deception, and this false preacher, this false prophet, do you think that's not going to affect you if you're sitting under his preaching, and he's the head over that particular church? It has to affect you. It has to affect you in an inverse way. That's why, when I finally came out of the 501c3 church movement, which wasn't soon enough, it wasn't but a short time that I started thinking, wow, why didn't I do this sooner? What was I thinking? Because it was obvious to me, even before I came out, that I should have done it, but I didn't do it. It takes a... It, it's a, it's a, it's a, I'm not going to say leap of faith, but it's a, it's a step and a walk of faith that it's going to take you, and it's going to take a certain amount of moxie or backbone or whatever to walk out of that situation, okay? But all I can tell you is that people that have done it typically are so relieved once they finally do it and they get away from all that junk, um, because it's like these chains come off you. And these were chains that were blinding you when you were in it. Even if, even if you knew better, it's still hard. I'm not saying this is easy to break free from this stuff. Because it is a spiritual bondage. It really is. And it's something that once you come out of, you do need to repent for. Okay? Just like we do everything. You know, we should be repenting continually for our sins. So, if we go further, because false prophets often sincerely believe their doctrines and are followed by others who agree with them, this reinforces the prophet's self-confidence and in turn can give rise to more confidence still. Hey, you got a group of people behind you and you're, and you're putting out total lies. Total lies. But if those people are saying, oh, he's the grand poobah. He's the big man on campus. He's a man among boys. we got to follow him. Or in this case, maybe even a woman among women. I don't know. Whoever you're following. That feeds their ego even more. Now they're, now they're twice the child of hell, and now they're creating more twice the child of hell out of you. It's not a good scenario. This larger dose of self-confidence in turn appeals to yet more people who are enticed to follow after them. And the vicious cycle continues to feed upon itself. It's like a big monster. You keep throwing fuel on and gasoline on. I mean, okay, let's let's take this scenario. What if Smiley Joe showed up today and nobody was in his stadium church? Maybe Smiley Joe would start thinking, well, maybe it's... And, and let's say everybody that had left had done it for biblical reasons. That's even, that's the, that's the best case scenario. You think Smiley Joe might have to rethink a few things? Why don't he just sell used cars? I mean, he's basically doing that anyway. It's the same mentality. He'd be a great used car salesman. You know? 
And I'm sure that one of those people in that stadium church would give him a job. He'd be better off doing that. You know why? Because old Smiley Joe is going to take a lot of people to hell with him. It would be much better that he sold cars. Can you imagine the price he's going to have to pay ultimately in the lake of fire? Because that's ultimately where he's going to end up. And when he goes before the great right throne judgment, he's going to say, Oh, haven't I done these things? Haven't I prophesied in your name? Haven't I cast out devils? And Jesus Christ is going to say from him, Depart from me, I never knew you, ye that worketh iniquity. Does that mean I'm saying this because I think I'm Mr. Perfect? No, it has nothing to do with that. I'm just telling you, this is what's going to happen to these prosperity preachers, preaching the false gospel. They're at a very, very extremely high accountability level, to whom much is given, much is required. Well, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes is all I'm saying. I'm not looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, I'm not telling you, oh, I think it's going to be a picnic or whatever. But these guys have no idea the wrath that they're going to bring upon themselves for eternity. Uh, characteristic number eight of a false prophet. They are highly motivated. False prophets have following, sometimes large multitudes of adoring listeners that hang upon their every utterance of guidance. The mere fact so many people adore them likely helps fuel their motivation, which kind of relates to what we just talked about. Several objects can motivate a false prophet, including money, power, uh, sometimes it's merely a desire to be popular, sometimes they are simply deceived, thinking they are doing God's will, and this deception alone is their motivation. I, I, think, I think I can prove an absolute case that a lot of these false prophets are Satanists. Yes, you heard me, they're Satanists. They're not just deceived, they're deceived on purpose, and they're deceiving you on purpose. There's an uh, email I sent out this week, and if you want to get on my email list, just email me. The, the, my email address is on every single web page on the sermon's audio, email me, and just put subscribe in the, uh, actually, I have two email lists. I have a health and a Christian newsletter. If you want to subscribe to both, just put subscribe to health and Christian newsletter. If you want to just subscribe to the Christian newsletter, just do that. But anyway, um, I put out an email this week, because I had a lot of people asking me, after last week's, after the part one and two on the false prophets, <clears throat> on um, these tapes that I said I had watched when I came out of the Pentecostal movement. They were tapes that the Lord used integrally to get me out of that. It's 20 hours of footage on guys like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Hagen, and Paul Crouch, and all these guys. Rodney Howard Brown, who calls himself the Holy Ghost bartender. 20 hours of footage on these guys. And what they're doing is they slow down the tongues, or they, or they, or they'll, um, they catch them off camera saying things. Sometimes they even reverse the tongues to see what they're saying. It's called backward masking. It's a common technique that occultists use. And uh, I'll tell you what, it's unbelievable. I could come to no other conclusion after watching this 20 hours of, of um, footage that these men were not just deceived, they were Satanists. Oh, now he's really gone overboard. Well, who better for Satan to use than a preacher that's going to reach a ton of people to take as many people to hell with him as possible? I mean, can we be neutral with God? Oh no, they're just a little bit deceived. No, they're not. It's worse than you can ever imagine. We're only going to know the full extent of this on the other side in eternity. 
We're only going to know. I mean, a certain amount you have to speculate about because you're never going to have that 100% absolute. Of course, I think this was 100% absolute proof. In fact, in the email that I sent out, I, they go through uh, many of the quotes, and they're actually spelled out. And I've heard these quotes, so I can verify that they're true. And then there's another link at the bottom of this email where you can actually go listen to some of them. Uh, he's got link after link after link of these guys talking. And, you know, they're, they're, their own tongue, their own words betray them. I mean, their own words condemn them. I don't have to do anything other than point out the obvious. Because it's very easy. So if we go a little bit further... Um, Characteristic 9. They are harmless in appearance. False prophets typically don't look dangerous. They don't act dangerous. They don't seem dangerous. I mean, Smiley Joe don't seem dangerous. Seems like a little timid, little uh, wispy kind of guy. Not going to hurt anybody. Wouldn't hurt, a, wouldn't hurt a fly. Yet he's taking these people to hell. See, Satan is the most subtle beast of the field. And he uses people like that. Because when you see somebody like Smiley Joe... Paul Crouch, they come across as these really nice guys. Paul Crouch is kind of this grandfatherly type figure. Um, sometimes they even come across as gentle and meek. Who better to use than somebody like that? You know why? Because when they come across that way, you immediately lower your guard. That's why they do it. I mean, if somebody comes up to you and they come up to you in a meek, humble way or, or in a really nice way, typically you don't keep your guard up to the same extent as if they came and tried to, like, smash you over the head with something. You're going to lower your guard. And that's what happens. But false prophets are dangerous. Their words mislead millions into an abyss of eternal destruction. False prophets, whether purposely or unintentionally, probably think their message, even if they know it is false, actually helps their followers. Well, I wouldn't give them that much credit. Okay, I, I, I won't, but um, like I said, I think some of them are, are deeply, deeply, deeply involved in the occult. And here's another thing that these, that, that these false prophets do. Not only are they 501c3 corporations, but if they affiliate themselves with a denomination like the Assembly of God, do you realize that there's layer after layer after layer of hierarchy in those? It's well proven uh, Fritz Springmeier and some others have done research on this, that essentially every single major religion on the planet, including totally false religions like Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, but also all the Christian religions, or ones that call themselves Christian. Catholics, of course they're not Christian, but they call themselves that. Um, every single basically mainline Protestant, Protestant denomination, at their head, at the head mother organization or church or whatever are always people that are involved in high level occult. Usually the, the, the 13 families of the Illuminati are the ones that control. And again, if the head be sick, then the whole body sick. That's also unbiblical. Show me in the New Testament where it says, you will have a gigantic church hierarchy. And that church hierarchy will rule over the other lower churches. And those lower churches will rule over other... It doesn't work that way. In the New Testament... They essentially had home churches that were autonomous. Okay? And they didn't have other big, gigantic parent church organizations ruling over them. That's unbiblical. But that's the whole 501c3 model. Okay? And again, if you doubt the 501c3 thing, just email me. I'll send you my whole packet. It's called Satan's Plan to Destroy the Church. Okay? And it's, it's on just particularly that subject. 
and it'll load your boat. So, um, if we go further, after all, if nothing else, the false prophet provides the followers momentary happiness and reassurance. Oh, that's what we need. We need a little bit of momentary happiness and reassurance, so ultimately we can go to hell and burn forever. There's not going to be any momentary happiness there. That's basically what they're doing. Remember, Christ said the false prophets would appear not as wolves, but as sheep disguised as wolves. So that's a very important point. They're not going to just come in there with big fangs and like they're going to rip your heart out. They're going to come in there looking like sheep. Okay? Characteristic 10. Characteristic 10. They are false. Naturally, false means wrong. False prophets are incorrect. They do not have the truth. But they are never totally wrong. Such would not produce much of a following. Remember, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, which is always a type of sin. Their teachings represent a deformed version of truth. Depending on the degree of the distortion, these deformities of truth often lead to treacherous, warped, and evil behavior, magnified far beyond the norm. Well, just look at old Ted Haggard, what he just got into. You know, gay sex with a gay prostitute, and they were smoking, what was it, meth? He was paying them for all this stuff? And he's the head of the, of the whole, like, North American evangelical church movement or whatever? And his own big, gigantic church out in Colorado? Debauched. And he's, and that's a great example. You know, I mean, look at that. And you've got all these people following him? All you've got to do is watch, I watched that guy preach for about five minutes on one of these, these documentaries that exposed the uh, Dominionist movement recently. I could not believe what was coming out of his mouth. And everybody was laughing. They thought it was so funny. It was so blasphemous. It was so unbiblical. So flippant. So irreverent. And the man looks like a devil. I'm sorry. He looks like a devil. All he needs is a, is a tail and a pitchfork to complete the motif. Maybe a couple horns. Oh, now you're judging. Well, I'm sorry, but the, that's what the guy looks like. He looks evil to me. I don't know if anybody has seen him that didn't come to the same conclusion. The Bible says speak evil of no man, but there's a big difference between evil and truth. Okay? And I'm telling you, he can't hide it. He's so obvious, I mean, it's not even like he comes across like he's meek or mild or some of these other characteristics I was just talking about. He doesn't come across that way at all. I heard, late, I heard recently, too, that, that um, old Teddy, he's, uh, I don't know if he's in jail or whatever, but he's still, he's still begging that you send the donations in because he's got to have that money to, whatever, live the high life. Okay, so... Jesus said, by their fruit you shall know them. As the powers, as their powers increase, so does their level of corruption. This is another good thing to think about. They're not just going to stay stagnant and say, well, I'm going to be like this devil today, and I'm just going to stay this devil. I'm really content being the devil that I am. Satan always will demand more. And, and, and the spirits that are possessing these false prophets are not going to be content with what they have today, with what they're going to expect for tomorrow. They're always going to demand more of their followers. This is why so much of the time these guys are begging for money constantly. Because the love of money is the root of all evil. 
So this is what they're doing. They're going out there and, and they're begging for money more. They're browbeating their congregations. They're, they're harping on their pet doctrines. They're, they're straining at gnats and swallowing camels. They're ignoring the weightier matters of the law, as the Bible talks about. They're doing all that. So, um, their behavior can range from deceit, lying, selfish ambition, and immorality, all in the name of God. Hey, what that one guy's back on TV, uh, what's that guy? He was married to Tammy Faye. Jim Baker? He's back on TV. I saw him, I, I, I flipped through that channel every once in a while. And, uh, just to see what's going on there. Yeah, Doug just, uh, informed me that when he... He was good friends with, remember that, that church I just told you about in our local area called the Dome. We call it the Dome. Affectionately. Not. Anyway, yeah, they, uh, this, this Dome church, the First Assembly, Pastor Betzer, he's pretty, pretty high up in the whole uh, Pentecostal Assembly of God movement. And when Jim Baker first got out of prison, he went there to speak. I remember there was a big fervor about it, the whole nine yards. And then he, remember he came out with that book, I was wrong, I believe that was the title, and it shows him real pitiful on the cover, you know. And he said that when he came out of there, he would never, he would never get back into the TV ministry, and he would never sell stuff, okay, at this, uh, when he got out of prison. Well, guess what? That was a total lie from the pit of hell, because he's been back on TV for quite a while. He's got a new Tammy Faye Baker Part 2 next to his side, the new and improved version. And they get on there. I tried to watch them. That it was so it was so vile and repulsive. I, I couldn't even hardly stand it because it was it was gibberish. It was him him and his wife trying to one up each other. And the guy that they had on, who was actually talking about health, they hardly get let him get a word in edgewise. And I mean, it was almost like you know he's probably so used to having this one upsmanship his whole life. Uh, he's looking pretty rough. And it just was really strange. It was like a very, very totally disorganized talk show where nothing was, was hardly getting accomplished. And of course, you know, he has his, his, his levels of contribution. You know, you got your gold and your silver club or whatever they've got. You know, if you give this so much per month and you get a free Ovaltine uh, secret decoder ring, if you give this, and then if you give more, then you get a Hulk Hogan commemorative beer koozie. One, and then if, if you give more, you get a Ronco stud gun. I'm sorry, I just made all that up. But anyway, just to, just to dramatize the point. Heard he's going to have a Chia Pet giveaway next month, maybe two. He'll really push the envelope with that. So, I, it's just hard for me to be not sarcastic about this, because it is so, such an abomination. The man sat there and said, oh, I won't do this, and I won't get back into this, and I've repented. And he's right back in the same stuff he's doing again. And Doug alluded to the fact that I think he's building some other type of community now, too. We're pretty sure. In fact, I think I, I, think I heard him make mention. Even if he's not... <laughs> You know, it's just unbelievable. But, as the Bible says, my people love to have it so. So, five things you can do to keep yourself from being a false prophet's victim. Okay, now we've already went over a lot of these things, you know, already. But, this is just going to kind of wrap it up. False prophets prey on all economic classes, races, degrees of intellects. Don't make the mistake thinking that because you are smart, you are immune. That's the last thing you should be doing. Again, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And knowledge puffeth up, 
and intellectual people are the hardest ones to possibly get saved, especially if they're intellectual and rich. As the Bible says, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because a rich man trusts his riches as his strong tower, according to Proverbs. That's why. Remember that, that parable in the Bible where the, the guy, he had all the grain in the barns and he had all his stuff and, and, and the Lord comes to him and says, Thou fool! This day thy soul will be required of you. Don't want to trust in uncertain riches the Bible talks about. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's true and real. In this world, false prophets pray on... All economic classes, races, and degrees of intellects. Um, few are invulnerable to their sometimes colossal gravitational spiritual pull. However, there is absolutely no good... That's a good point. Few are invulnerable to their sometimes colossal gravitational spiritual pull. Here's another thing that we really didn't mention. If you go up to like this church I mentioned, the Dome or Smiley Joe Olston's church or whatever... And you've got 5,000 or 10,000 people showing up for a service. And you look around and you think, wow, this must be the place to be because everybody else is doing it. This has got, but that's the broad way. See, that's the exact opposite. Show me in the Bible where, where especially particularly in the New Testament, where they, had, where they commanded the apostles or whatever commanded these types of crowds that stayed there. I mean, they didn't have like churches where they had 10,000 people every every week or whatever. They didn't have that typically. Maybe at the very, very beginning of the early church, I know thousands did get saved. Okay? But I'm talking about throughout history. It's never been the norm. Never. So when you see all these people showing up in one place, you start thinking, hey man, there must be something to this. Don't fall into that trap. Broad is the way which leads to destruction. Narrow is the way which leads to life eternal. Few there be that find. If everybody's doing it, if the masses aren't doing it, that should be a gigantic red flag right there that you shouldn't be doing it. Check it out biblically. So here's a few simple precautions. Number one, don't be a tradition follower. The vast majority of people in the religious world practice and worship the way they do for one simple reason. Tradition. The Bible says, and Jesus said, through your traditions you've made the word of God of none effect. That's exactly what's happening today. Well, my, my dad did it, and my granddad did it, and his granddad did it. Who cares? If they were in false religion, and not only that, but maybe if the granddad did it, maybe if he was a, a, an old-time Methodist, he probably was saved. There was a time that you could go into Methodist and uh, Presbyterian churches and actually get saved. I, don't th I think those days are long gone pretty much, for the vast majority. So, you know, <laughs> the problem is, is there was leaven in the churches from the beginning, and it wasn't as leavened back then as it is now. Because leaven is like when you use, um, leaven is what makes dough and yeast rise. And, and it takes time for the leaven to permeate through and to make the dough rise. It's always going to be worse at the latter end than it was at the beginning, is, is the point I'm trying to make. So people seldom question the faith they are raised in. Apparently people think their grandparents and parents and other ancestors could have possibly been wrong. Additionally, some people feel that following in the path of their ancestors, they are somehow honoring their memory. Who cares? It doesn't matter. It, you know, that, if what you feel is honoring their memory is contradicting the Bible, then then you're doing the wrong thing. 
You're honoring man more than God. Few ever take the time to honestly locate the truth, which Jesus said would make them free. It's true. If you continue in my word, this is what Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. But what is the what is the crux of that whole thing? What is the condition? Continuing in his word. That's what most people aren't doing. They don't even have the word. They have some perversion they're reading. Not the King James Bible. So, um, because this trap is so powerful, false prophets probably enjoy their easiest success at the expense of tradition-oriented Christians. So true. The wide path that leads to destruction is perfectly suitable to them. And they don't even know they're on it. Number two, arm yourself with knowledge. Religious people who lack knowledge are bright red, loud, quacking, sitting ducks for the false prophets. These are ones that lack knowledge. Uh, remember, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, according to Hosea 4.6. And then, and then it goes on to say, because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be a priest to me no more, and I will also reject your children. So see, when you <clears throat> reject true biblical knowledge, it's not just going to affect you, it's going to affect your children. This is, you know, makes it even more uh, severe and, and uh, important that, that, that you do the right thing here. It is only a matter of time before one of many of the false prophets of the world will find his way into the life of a person who is unarmed of spiritual knowledge and truth. The only way you're going to glean and garner that is through the King James Bible. Don't, don't follow man. I'm not telling you to follow me. I'm telling you to follow what the Word of God says. Okay? Check me out. Check out what I'm saying. Or now, what we're doing today is just quoting a lot of scripture and pointing out a lot of obvious things. But there may be some things that people are listening to this and it's really not sitting right and I'm, I've really got into their craw or whatever. Well, then check it out. Do, do whatever you got to do. I'm sorry my voice is getting a little bit hoarse here. Um, I'm a little fired up, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, um, <clears throat> God once said that his people were destroyed due to a lack of knowledge. And, and again, we just said that in Hosea 4.6. The same is certainly true today. Today more than ever. Today more than ever. Because the great falling away of the church is in full swing. We're in the Laodicean church age of, of essentially Revelation 3. Where the church is blind, naked, wretched, weak. Yet, they think they're in need of nothing. Because they have material things and things like I mean, you go to the churches, all these big buildings. I mean, they're, in America, they're just about on every corner. Some type of, of church building. And so they equate that with being spiritual. And they equate that with, well, we're, we must be right with God. Look at us. Look at what God's done. And all these other things. So it's very dangerous. So many Christian religious people are perfectly content to listen to their religious leaders and to never bother to do their homework, never to bother to examine the preacher's message against the Word of God. That's what you have to do. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And then in Acts it talks about the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica because they, thought the thing, they sought the things out in the Word of God, whether they be true or not. They did it daily, it says. So it's, it's a good uh, thing to actually read your Bible Daily. Now we're going to look at a couple scriptures here. <clears throat> okay, so if we go to Acts 17.10, Acts 17.10, 10-12, what we're going to be reading. This was Paul and Silas at Berea, and again we just, this is the actual quote. And the brethren immediately went away with Paul and Silas by night into Berea, 
coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They received the word of God, the gospel. And searched the scriptures daily, whether these things were so. Therefore many believed, also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. So what was the fruit of searching these scriptures out daily, being more noble than those in Thessalonica, receiving the word with all readiness of mind. What was the fruit of that? Many believed. People got saved. Well, that's the most important thing on the planet. Because when it's all said and done, when we're a thousand years from now, the, the main thing that's going to matter, I'm not saying the only thing, I know there's rewards and things like that in heaven, but the main thing that's going to matter is did you go to heaven or did you go to hell? It's the most important possible decision any of us will ever make. By far. Nothing even compares to it, if you think about it. Now, once you get saved, then, you know, that's why it's important we try to help other people get saved and see the light. Okay, so going further, perhaps the key action Christians can take to arm themselves against false prophets is to continually show up their faith by upgrading their knowledge with an honest and open mind, and the courage to make the necessary changes in their lives. But again, this is in light of reading the King James Bible. Okay? And really, like I said, if you're part of these 501c3 organizations, you know, you're not going to break free unless you get out of them. I just don't see how you're going to, because that spirit is going to influence your thought pattern. And if you're sowing your money into those very organizations that God never called them to, then you're going to be accountable for that money that you're putting into them as well. So you want to be really careful where you're putting your money, because, I mean, it's not it's not something that, um, if God gave you the money, we just need to be blowing it and putting it into a ministry that ultimately is taking people to hell, or, or ultimately leading them into error. You're encouraging that by giving them... So that's just another thing to think about as well. Um... You will never be able to identify a false prophet if you don't know how to identify a true one. As, as defined by the word of God, recognizing the false prophets requires knowledge. And that knowledge requires study in the word of God, particularly the King James Bible. Number three, in regard to avoiding false prophets, don't be complacent. False prophets prey on the complacent, self-satisfied, and unsuspecting. Complacent individuals do not have a sense of urgency regarding their eternal destiny. They don't think purity of faith and doctrine is important. They think God is a God of love. He's not going to judge me. I can live like the devil and do whatever I want. I don't have to worry about the Bible. That's essentially what they think. Thus they make easy prey for false prophets who are perfectly contented with complacent followers, especially since the complacent followers provide the much-needed financial and support the network essential for the success of their ongoing work. So see, one corrupt side feeds the other corrupt side. False prophet gets what he needs, and then he tells them what they want to hear. So everybody's, everybody's one big happy family on their way to hell. That's essentially how it works. Four, take the time to do your spiritual homework. False prophets prey on those who are too busy to check out the facts. Many people fall into this category. It is far easier to rely on a seemingly intelligent, knowledgeable, spiritual leader than it is to take personal responsibility for one's own salvation. But see, you're the one that's responsible for it. Okay? As God commanded Christians to do, that's what we're supposed to do. Take personal responsibility for one's own salvation. Now, let's go to...
Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. Philippians 2.12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So, the Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, that's what it says. People believe, well, I said that little prayer, whatever, and and everything is great. I've lived like the devil ever since then. I've had no conviction of my sin. And, you know, everything's fine and dandy. But the Bible says here to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The Bible says all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It also says whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. So, we're all going to get chastened as children of God because we all have sin and if we say we have no sin then we are a liar, the Bible says in John. So, uh, or actually First John, I believe. So, this is why the Bible says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, if, if you're living like the devil and, and, and calling yourself a Christian and God's doing nothing to you and you're not miserable, you're not convicted about your sin, you're not saved, most likely. Okay, because whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. Chastening is like getting a spanking. Okay, being punished. If ye be without chastisement, you're bastards, which all are partakers, the Bible says. So, a bastard is an illegitimate son. You're either a child of God, or you're a bastard. You're an illegitimate son. If you if you call yourself a Christian, and you're not, okay, because your 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 actions will well by their by their fruit you shall know them, okay. So if we go further, number five, <clears throat> be alert for suspicious or illogical measures from your preacher. Sometimes logic itself makes it obvious your preacher is a false prophet. Certain red flags of warning are sometimes raised in their sermons and, it, and personal advice to their followers. For example, if your religious leaders tell you that they are receiving messages and prophecies directly from God. Now, remember, I've already talked about this with the Pentecostal stuff. Now, if they say they're receiving messages and prophecies directly from God and every single one of them are coming through spot on perfect... I'm not saying God can't do that. I'm not. I don't want to sit here and put God in a box either, or, or say that, that 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 can't happen, or I don't have the faith to believe that. Can, I absolutely believe that that God has that ability to do that. Okay, I'm not saying He couldn't do that. He's a Lord. He created the universe. The Bible says, "I am the Lord, the God of all flesh." Is there anything too hard upon, too hard for me? He said, "Call upon me, and, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not." He says that in Isaiah. So I'm not wanting to put God in a box here either. All I'm saying is that what I've seen is a lot of false stuff in the name of God. And I haven't met a true prophet yet in my lifetime. I haven't met one. I'm not saying they're not, I'm not, saying they're not in existence. But I haven't met one. Other messages or activities to be of suspicious behavior. One. Discouragement from thinking for yourself. <laughs> you see a lot of that in these churches. Discouragement from listening to opposing viewpoints or honestly examining the arguments of spiritual opponents. Remember, the truth has nothing to fear. The truth is the truth. It's a pillar. It has nothing to fear. Its foundation is on the rock of Christ Jesus. 
you should be able to go and debate or whatever, or, or at least give these types of people information. I mean, if you have the truth, why would you be afraid to defend it? C. Encouraging, encouragement to listen to only the religious leaders' views. Uh, D. Church leaders altering church history and documentation in order to hide events and doctrines that they now deem unattractive. Remember, God's word is completed. We have the completed word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, this is why God doesn't have to use a lot of these prophecies and other things like he did at one point when we didn't have a completed word of God. Okay, that's another point. Not only that, but when God was dealing with the Jews, the Bible says the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after knowledge. So God was used to dealing with the Jews in a way with signs and wonders. Okay? Whereas when the gospel shifted more to the Gentiles, because the Bible says blindness in part has happened to the Jew till the fullness of the Gentile come in, there was a time, even in Acts, when... Um, Paul said, from henceforth I go unto the Gentiles. Okay? Because the Jews had, Jesus came to his own, his own received him not. Okay? Now I'm not saying all of his own didn't receive him not. Obviously the Jews and the apostles were all Jews and the, and the early church was all Jew, Jewish. Okay? But then there was a time where the emphasis shifted more to the Gentile. Okay? We're going to cover this a little bit more in the future too. I have a whole, whole teaching we're, we're going to be doing on this. Um, but the Bible also says to boast not against the branches the true branches, which are the Jews, because we are we are likened in Romans to a wild olive branch grafted in. Okay, so we're not supposed to boast against the Jews. Okay, but again, that's a whole other teaching. I don't want to go down that rabbit trail any further. Um, so, church leaders altering church history and documentation. Well, here's an easy way to go against the Jehovah Witness. Okay, here's a, here's an easy way you can you can go after them. Um, if they ever come and, and start getting in, you, what you have to do is they're always going to want to try to take you to some little niche Bible verse that they're going to twist and take out of context or whatever. What I do is I don't let them do that, and I will say, listen, don't you have a publication called The Watchtower that uh, you go by that's issued every month? And they'll say, yeah. Say, so, now, according to church hierarchy, according to the publication of the Watchtower, it is angelically inspired every month. They believe that basically it's angelically, holy, inspired. Okay. And they'll say, yeah. I said, if that's the case, why did that very publication predict the end of the world? And I used to have the dates memorized, but um, wrong in like 19 this and 19 that. And 19, I mean, it predicted the end of the world wrong like, I don't know, five, six, seven times. So many times that they got finally got to a point where they were losing so many members because they were predicting the end of the world, the Jehovah Witnesses were. And it wasn't coming to pass. So they ended up losing all these people. So they finally said, we're just going to stop doing this. If that was of God, why, why, why are you predicting the end of the world? You're a false prophet. You're false. And that's just one little thing. Oh man, that, that'll send them through the roof. That'll send them out the door pretty quick. If you, if you give them that one. So, again, if you see these church leaders trying to do this to alter church history, things that might be unattractive, that's another red flag. Now let's go, let's see here, let's go to John 12.48. John 12, 48. 
Jesus Christ saying, he, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Do you realize this Bible is going to judge us with what we did with the word? That's why it's so important what word you're reading. Now, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am anyone else. Okay, I'm not judging anyone else. I'm saying this is what the Bible says. It's all going to apply to all of us. Okay? So Jesus said, He who rejecteth me and receiveth not my words. Well, the Bible says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same in the beginning was God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So, Jesus Christ, the incarnate word <clears throat> that came to the world to save all humanity, or, or to give humanity, to offer humanity the free gift of salvation, for you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. That same Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. I'm not looking forward to it, personally. Okay? I don't think if any of us were honest with ourselves, we any of us would say, there. you know, there's some ministries out there right now. They've got this one book that just came out, The Believer's Payday. How, you know, oh, it's going to be primrose and roses at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't think so. And I'm, you know, I I just, uh, I, I just, it, it blows my mind that, that they've got these types of books out. Like, everything's going to be so great and so wonderful, and we're not going to, it's just going to be all rewards. And, you know, the Bible says there will be some that will be saved, yet so is by fire. What that means, I don't really know. I don't really want to go through it. Do you know how many people are going to have all their works burned up as wood, hay, and stubble? They're not going to have any rewards? Well, that's what your motivation is. I don't think your motivation's wrong. Um, these are people that, that have went and maybe, let's say they were saved. Obviously, they had to be saved at the judgment seat of Christ. But they, um, their heart wasn't pure in regard to their, mo their motives and their actions, and the Bible says you be saved, yet so is by fire. Um, so, I, you know, I, listen, we see through a glass, but yet darkly. So I can't explain all these things. Um, but I'm just saying what the Bible says. So in conclusion, most people consider it important to examine all the facts when it comes to buying a car home or making a significant investment. It's a good point. But nothing is as, is as important as closely checking out the facts when it comes to what will determine your eternal destiny. You absolutely must take the time to check up on your religious leaders. But you know what? That's a good point. We would never think about going out and buying a house, a home, making a significant investment without checking it out. But do you realize how, how much less effort most people give to, to where they're going to end up spending eternity? Flip it. Whatever. God's a God of love. I'm not going to even... I'm like, you know, are you willing to, to evidently bet your soul on your man-made or religious philosophy? You're not even willing to check it out any further? 
Most people aren't. Jesus commanded his disciples to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. We must be cautious without being cynical, alert, and never underestimate the value of the good old common sense. Make sure 2 plus 2 equals 4 in your preacher's spiritual messages. But again, the only way you're going to do this is by comparing scripture with scripture. Don't recklessly give to others the power over your own soul and the souls of your children. Which is exactly what you're doing when you go to these 501c3 churches and warm a pew. Blindly follow no one. And I include myself in that. I'm not trying to hold them to a higher accountability than I would hold myself. So that is part three, and we're done with that when we're going to go ahead to um, part two of today's lessons. May the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.